have John and Gloria with us this morning from France. Um, some of you haven't met them before. John will probably, I think, tell a little bit about himself, but uh, we're just always a privilege. John is uh, a ministry that we support on a regular basis, and usually about this time of year they come back and uh, come back and spend a little time with us. So we're just glad to have them back and hear what God's doing in France and in their lives. So, John? Gloria? Gloria? Somebody? In French? <laughs> okay, I retired about six months ago, and I don't like retirement, but I really feel that God wanted to use this period for the rest of my life, actually. John had had a dream about seven months ago, eight months ago, about me starting a sewing school. And um, so I actually did all the paperwork. It was very hard in France. There's a lot of paperwork that you don't have here. Finally, it went through, and I started a sewing school a few months ago. Most all of my students up to this point have been Congolese. So they're from the Congo. They were refugees that France accepted. And I've been teaching them how to sew, and it includes guys, which is really interesting. Anyway, um, a lot of Muslim women would like to learn how to make tunics. I've heard this from lots of them, and a couple of them had approached me like a two years or three years ago asking if I could teach them how to make tunics. So I realized that that's going to be also a tool for reaching them for the Lord eventually. So anyway, you can pray for this endeavor and um, that God really use it. Thank you. One, two, three. Are you ready? Yeah. Well, yeah. Guys, I'm glad to see you. Really? You glad to see me? Yeah. Oh, okay. Let's <laughs> make sure of that. Uh, next one. Uh, what I'm going to do is meld, meld together what we're doing with a message. So it's kind of a hodgepodge of, of personal things of what we're up to and uh, things that I want to share that I hope touch your lives. Uh, this spring I was named director, world director of the French, over the French language. There's 29 countries in the world that speak French. Did you know that? No, of course you didn't know that. You're waiting for me to tell you that. So I've been traveling with Gloria here and there. Last year we had our first major, major trip and we had to go to oh, this terrible place on the other side of the world called Tahiti. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and we got down there and there's a pastor's meeting and all the pastors from the Assemblies of God from Tahiti and Moria, the next island, all of them are there. I'm just kind of, wow, they're all there. And we're talking, and I come to find out that every single one has gone through the basic in-state Bible courses. And it, it, it's amazing that in-state's been all over the world. We're going to New Caledonia. Do you know where that is? That's left of Tahiti. So it's over there. It's over there on the other side of the world, too. And come to find out, in the Christian world, there's a lot of strange things can happen. And we got news last year. I, I, I heard about something happening in New Caledonia, north of Australia. And come to find out that they have been doing a... It's, this is hard to say. These words are hard to come out of my mouth. They were doing a black market Bible school. 
They got our material, and they were doing it on a black market. And nobody knew about it except them until they ran into real big trouble and they needed help from us. So it's really been a blessing to see what Insta has been able to do to impact the world. It's translated into 20 languages in 40 countries in France. We have had 18,000 students. Now, France has got two-thirds of 1% Christian in the whole country. 18,000 students is... That's remarkable. I'm really proud to work with something that, that does work. It does basic discipleship training. Um, i tell you a story that happened to me last year. I was in Malta, and I met with a bunch of guys, and, and I told them a story, and, and I'll tell you the story. We are in Kennedy Airport 25 years ago, and I saw this black guy right over there, and he, he was so elegant. I mean, he was elegant. I just looked at this guy, and I realized his kids were playing with my kids, so that gave me a good reason to go up and say, Hi. So I go up and say hi to him, and, and, and we're talking away, and I ask him, well, what do you do? He said, well, I'm an ambassador to the United Nations from Mauritania. Oh, do you know anything about Mauritania? That's a nasty place. And uh, I asked him a bunch of questions, he answered, and he caught on that when I shut up, it was his turn to ask me questions. So he asked me a question, well, what do you do? And I said, well, uh, I'm a pastor. Oh, big silence. Christianity is totally forbidden in Mauritania. And then he looked me square in the eyes and he said, you know, I know the names of every Christian in the country. Right now, there's five. There's five. So he looks at me in the eyes, one, two, three, four, five. He names off all the Christians in the whole country, and I'm just, oh, that kind of, you know, kind of hits you in the gut. And I looked at him, and I said, God, help me. Help me. And I said, hey, I want to make a proposition to you. How about if I give you a Bible in French? You probably don't have one. No, I don't. How about if I give you a Bible in French for you to understand what you're persecuting? For you to understand who you're throwing in prison? For you to understand what's going on and what Christian faith really is? Big silence. This guy's thinking. I mean, you see smoke coming out of his ears. He's thinking. And he looks at me and one of the most sincere yes words I've ever heard in my life. He said, yes, I'll accept the Bible. So I got the guy a Bible. That was 25 years ago. Last year, I was in a conference where the leadership, all the national leaders from Mauritania showed up. And I, the national leadership, there's about five men on the national leadership team for the whole country of Mauritania. And I told them the story, and they said, yeah, 25 years, there were five believers. There were five believers. You know, I'll use you in this example. There were five believers, and, and they knew the name of the five, and they said, yeah, but he t did he tell you about the one? One? No, he didn't tell me about the one. The one was just like you. She's a grandma. Uh, 
She was very, very black, but her hair was very, very white. And she was the one. Somehow she became a Christian, and then she left, led four more people to the Lord. And today, there's somewhere between 700 and 1,000 Christians in the country. And most of them are doing insta. It's in Arab, it's in French, Chinese, Hindi, Tagalog, Portuguese, Spanish, German. It's even in English. Instate.edu. It's really good for basic foundational discipleship courses. A couple years ago, uh, I went up into a tree in our backyard. I was up in the tree, and we have plums. It's a plum tree. And uh, I'm just up there. I just, wow, this is really great. We'd moved in about two weeks before that, or maybe a week before that, and plum tree was full of plums. So I'm way up in the top of the plum tree, and I'm, I'm picking plums, and I feel the Lord speak to me. Okay, John, close your eyes. Close my eyes. What am I supposed to do after I close my eyes? Fill your bucket with plums. What? I close my eyes and I pick all the plums that are around me. There were a lot of plums. I close my eyes, I pick all the plums, and I fill up my, it was a bucket, it wasn't a basket. So I, I really felt this was the Lord. It was a very strange thing. So I said, okay, Lord, I'll close my eyes. I close my eyes, I filled up the bucket immediately with plums. I mean, it was just amazing. That bucket just filled up. I'm up in the top of the tree trying to figure out what this has to do with anything. Blind people picking plums from the top of a tree. You you try to figure that one out. And the Lord spoke to me a second time that day. He said, the time will come when harvesting souls for the kingdom will be as easy as it was for you to pick plums with your eyes shut. We're not there yet. The day is coming. The notion of revival in America and France and the entire world is not a done deal. It's coming. It's coming. I'm, I, I, I am living for that time. I want to speak about it at the very end of the message. I'm living for that time. Preparing the way. So, I'm up there on the top of the tree. I open my eyes and the Lord speaks to me again. But with the influx of all the new converts, many churches will open. Hallelujah! Come on, give me a little hallelujah, just a little one. And this is great. I've got my bucket full of plums and new churches and people are going to get saved. And then the second shoe fell. But with the influx of souls, many churches, Christian churches, Bible-believing churches, will close do you hear me? And I Lord, how can that be? Because they're not prepared for revival. They don't have a solid foundation. They don't have discipleship in place. And if you get, you know, my wife had three kids. No twins, no triplets. We had our time to work things out. But if she had quadruplets, that's another issue. You got a whole lot of diapers to change all at the same time. And you better be ready. You better be ready. 
Um, how many of you are disciples? How many? Huh? Consider yourself a disciple. Raise your hand. This is not a trick question. Come on, I'm being nice. Okay. How many of you have ever trained a disciple? How many have trained a disciple? Hey, guys, you, you got your eyes open. You didn't follow my example of closing your eyes. Your eyes are open. It's a whole lot fewer hands on the second question. Okay, Jesus said, Go ye therefore into all nations. What do you do? Making disciples. Who was that word addressed to? It's you and you and you. Age, weight, smallness, bigness. Intelligence, none of that counts. If you love the Lord, you're supposed to be making a disciple. I guarantee you, that's in the word. And somehow we've relegated that to the ministry, whoever the ministry is. No, that's our ministry. One aspect of Gloria's sewing school is making disciples. In Singer. Sewing machines. And with the transfer to the kingdom. And with the transfer to the kingdom. I challenge you to seriously, as a church, look on how the church as a whole can make disciples. Everybody's got something. Soundboard guy. Who discipled you? Anybody? Who taught you how to do it? He kind of goes, did you teach him how to do that? Sound? Okay. He's, he, he taught Ministry, whether it be pastoral, prophetic, or whatever, ministry, if you do it self-taught, you really want to go into the ministry. It takes 20 years to form a functioning minister. Full-time, okay? 20 years, that's the that's lifespan. It takes to get fully into knowing what you're doing by yourself. If someone follows you up and trains you and disciples you and works with you all along, it takes 12 years. Can you hear what I'm saying? It's time for the kingdom of God to be accelerated. Are you willing to take a step to say, I will invest my life into somebody else's life? Are you willing to do that? I challenge you. You've got neighbors. You've got people in the church. You've got unchurched people that are out there. You've got people that are backslidden. They're all crying out to be spoken to with the word of the Lord into their hearts. This generation is crying out to hear the word of the Lord in their hearts. They're hungry and they don't know it. They're crying out and they don't know it. Next. (laughs) Uh, We're working a lot in prophetic and do a lot of prophetic seminars. Roy Ralph, who was here, how long ago? A couple months ago, Roy Ralph, we traveled extensively this year. We did a, a trip. We touched 15 denominations, roughly 60 pastors. And 15 denominations, I don't know if that says anything to you. That is miraculous. You don't go from Assemblies of God to the First Baptist Church, to the Third Baptist Church, and back to the Apostolic Church, and then on to some uh, 
Calvinistic church, that doesn't happen here, there, or anywhere. But one thing that I feel prophetically, and I burn with this in my soul, the day is before us and is now that God wants to pour out his love on his church, that the church love the whole church, and that there be no barriers. Are denominations good or bad? Oh boy, now that's a trap question. Are denominations good or bad? I'm going to pick on you. Are they good or bad? Oh, her teeth are grinding. Her husband's poking her. Her daughter's ashamed. (laughs) Mom, say something. Are denominations good or bad? Bad, okay. What's your family name? Seigel? Family name? Krep? Krep. Are you sure? (laughs) Is she sure? Okay. I'm going to give it kind of a weird answer to that question. Her family name is Krep. You may have somebody with a family name Baptist. And that isn't necessarily bad because everybody has a heritage. Everybody grows up with some background somewhere. But where it becomes bad is when that family name makes you think you're better than the next family. And God is in the process of tearing down barriers between Christians. He, does he love the whole church? I mean the whole church. That doesn't mean he loves all the systems. That doesn't mean he loves all the doctrines. But all those in all of the churches that love his son Jesus Christ and follow Jesus, God the Father, he's rejoicing with them. He loves them. But the church itself doesn't do the same thing that God the Father does. We don't love, by nature, the whole church. We love love those that look like us and they're wearing a tie on Sunday morning. That's human nature. But it's really a challenge to love the whole church. (sighs) We've got Church of the Brethren in our city. Ooh-wee! They're hardcore. God loves them. And I'm doing my best to love them. Amen? The enemy today is doing something remarkable in the Western world. He's dispersing the church. He's scattering the church because of issues, basically, of love and me. Um... For the sake of time, I'm just going to say the verses without reading them. He that is in the Lord, in him there is found no offense. No offense. In those churches and 15 denominations, I did my homework. When we went into a different church almost every time, we went into another church, I did my homework to find out who they were to respect them, to honor them, to lift up who they were and then speak into their lives. Going into a church with a critical spirit, that will never work. We went into Assemblies of God's Spirit that was stuck in time of return to the future number eight. I mean, they were stuck 50 years ago. And it was, wow. I walked in and I felt like a deep freeze. It was... Wow. And I said, oh, good luck, John. You're going to have a good time in this church. And the Lord spoke to my heart, repent. 
repent. You have no right to judge anybody. You have a right to love them, and if they're not really in the flow today, give them the life you do have. Share what you do have. There's no, no point in ever criticizing another Christian. Has God ever called the body of Christ to criticize other parts of the body of Christ one time? Never. So I repented, and we had one of the most remarkable meetings I've ever been in. God showed up, and that church was turned upside down. It was wonderful. One of the reasons so many Christians are dispersed on the face of the earth is because they find offense in what happens. They take offense with what happens. In this politically correct world, if you say something that's a little off or a little challenging or a little <laughs> radical, oh, I'm offended. Does a Christian have a right to be offended? Now, that's a dumb question, but that's a question. Okay, the guy with the beard there, well, half a beard, quarter of a beard. Does a Christian have a right to be offended? Woo! Okay, let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. Jesus, how many times did he ever forgive someone that offended him personally? How many times? Where? Bible verse. Where? When was Jesus ever offended? Wow, it gets silent here from time to time. How many times did Jesus ever get offended? Never. Never. Yes. <laughs> you got that one good. He did say on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Was he, was he personally offended? No. But they needed forgiveness. Yes. Okay. I was very happy to make your acquaintance. Now I'll ask you another question. Do you have any Teflon pans at home? Okay. Next person. <laughs> do you have any Teflon pans at home? Yeah, you do. Okay, Teflon. Miss Teflon. Jesus, when the offense came, was he offended in a human sense? He was criticized, tried to kill him. They, 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 they gossiped about him. What Jesus walked through was terrible. But yet he was just like that woman over there. Teflon pans, it hit the pan and it just slid off. He didn't take it in. Jesus was non-offensible. Whoa. Whoa. I had somebody in France in our church. Boy, did she get mad at me. Man, did she get mad at me. Ron, this has certainly never happened to you. The reason she got mad at me is I, I, she came to church one day and I was just standing there looking dumb, which I can do. I was standing there and she went in front of me and I didn't say hello. She went into nuclear winter <laughs> because I didn't say hello. She hadn't been in the church now since beginning of the year because... I didn't say hello. That is taking offense. That's not being very Teflonish. Are you Teflon? Next time somebody says something really nasty to you, they come up and they just blast you. I mean, they're just really nasty, nasty. You see, I can be nasty too. See, no offense 
Teflon. Bloop. I let it slide. The love of God covers it all. If you take offense, you're going to be working things out in your heart. Lord, when do I forgive them? Do I forgive them? Do they come to me or do I go to them? And that's a mess. You know, it's a whole lot better to walk through life saying, Lord, by your power, by your grace, by your knowledge, by your wisdom, I'm going to take a position not to be offended in Jesus' name. Amen? Would to God that that would be your prayer. That will change radically church life in a given church. That will change radically church life in a region. You know, you imagine going to a pastor's meeting and all the pastors love one another. Hallelujah. (laughs) Following. When we're working in um, prophetic Go back, and I'm going to end with this. We're working prophetic. I, I go into churches, do a lot of conferences with this, and I ask people, same thing, I'm going to ask you. Who here has heard a bad prophetic word? Or who has ever heard or seen some spiritual activity, charismatic, Pentecostal, on, the, on those lines, that was really weird. Who has heard or seen or participated in something bad and nasty? Well, they haven't been to many Pentecostal churches, Ron. <laughs> no. Boy, you're, you're amazing. Either you don't have many false prophets here yet. <laughs> but they will come. Many people in France and in America have witnessed, been part of, bad spiritual manifestations. People pushing you down. People going crazy on you. People asking for your visa card in the name of Jesus. You know, it all happens. And the churches in France are like burned land. There's been so much offense And I encourage the churches, okay, you've been offended, you've seen weirdness, get rid of it. Get rid of it. This is this church kind of somewhere in in a in another century had something Lutheran to do, right? Something? Yeah? Something. Um how many people know that? Luther was responsible for tens of thousands of people being killed. Anabaptists, Mennonites, Amish. That was in our region where we live in France at the German-Swiss-French border. And it's amazing what history does. People have forgotten that. They take what was good, which is a good thing, but they forgot the offense. Would be to God that you all forget the bad stuff. Because we're aiming towards one thing, preaching the kingdom of God, lifting Jesus up above all other names. Are you with me? And when we're lifting Jesus up above all other names, we won't have time to get involved in all that stuff. One last thing, and I'm going to close. We come back to the States, and we see something. We saw it from France, but now we're baptized into it. 
in the political media theater circus, I call it. It's a circus. It's been a circus for a decade. The media is whipping people up to such a frenzy. Half of the population's mad about this. The other half of the population's mad about that. And, and you know, we're having civil culture wars. Where's the will of God in all of that? Be Teflon. Don't get upset over all the political nonsense. Don't get bent out of shape about what the media is doing. Preach the kingdom of God. Preach Jesus. Get people saved. Spend your time wisely. An upset Christian. You know what happens when a Christian's upset? I mean upset. Not, not when he spills the coffee in the morning and you're upset because he spilled the coffee. I'm, not th- I'm talking about upset. An upset Christian is worth nothing. The Spirit's there somewhere in his back pocket, but the Spirit's not going to work. When you're upset, when you're in turmoil, when you're in a frenzy, Jesus is on vacation. He's not there. And my goal, singular goal, preach the kingdom of God and his Christ. Jesus! Getting upset is going to destroy that in our lives. That will destroy our personal testimony. You get into a political argument, heated political argument. And you try to talk about the love of Jesus. Whoa! Whoa! Do you still love me? Okay. Ron, I think it's good. I think it's good. I think I'll stop there. (laughs) Would you do one thing for me? Would you stand up? Yeah, you. You're the one with the Teflon. See, if if I pray this, it has a certain effect. If she prays this, I think it's going to have another effect. Would you pray for this body of people to become Teflon Christians? Do you understand what I mean? Do you understand what I mean? Okay. Let's bow our heads. Go for it. Out loud. (laughs) I mean, that may sound absurd. Help us be Teflon Christians, but that's good. That's good. I'm happy we work together today. God bless you guys. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> just one thing. Um, just put on the last slide. Don't double click it. Uh, this is book, Keep the Fire Burning. We translated it this year. It came out in February in France. Sold out in four months. That doesn't happen in France. Doesn't happen in the States either. First printing sold out. We're on the second printing. And <clears throat> it's a manual on how to live revival in the local church. It's not spooky. It's not weird. It's practical. Because it gives reasons on a personal level and on a church level, reasons on why we need to move into revival and what God demands of us, what he's asking us to do on a personal level. And in French, this is one of the most, in French, it's one of the most, uh, you have the English copy here, Ron. Yeah, that's, okay good. That? That's, that's good. That's good. It's an English copy. And I feel it's one of the most influential books that's been published in French the last 20 years. That's a big mouthful. So uh, I'm giving this to Ron, and it's my prayer that he take it, run with it, and you get infected by this. As an Indian giver. No. Uh, Thank you. Okay.
You know what it means when a pastor says one more thing? <laughs> no. It means absolutely nothing. <laughs> You've heard that, right? No. Thanks, John. I'm, I'm still thinking about that. You know, it is, well, a lot of things. But, you know, I just want to really stress that, you know, we do get caught up in what the world says so much. We get caught up in things around us, and we get caught up in all the hoopla. And, you know, I never thought about it being a trick from the enemy. But what a trick, you know, to get caught up in things and then quit preaching the gospel. Quit, you know, you get so caught up in all the drama that we forget to share the gospel. Yeah, that was good. Okay, let's have our ushers come forward. We're going to take up our offering. Um, we're going to bless the, the uh, offering is going to go to the sewing school, right? We're gonna, okay, so we're going to take up our offering. And this, this offering is for, uh, to bless Gloria in starting her school to, you know, and I don't know if you've ever known, but there's a lot of Muslims where they live, a lots of Muslims, a lot more Muslims than Christians, lots, yeah. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask you to just use this offering, Lord, just uh, pray that you'd be able to bless Gloria and that she would just in turn be able to minister to neighbors and people in her community, Muslims, whatever whatever you would send, Lord, whoever it might be. Lord, just uh, bless this offering now in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, I, I just wanted to share this, you know, Sometimes I think we don't think about the simple things. You know, and you think about God using a sewing school. Now, you know, if God can use a sewing school, that must mean that there's a lot of things we might be able to do that God could use us, you know, in in simple ways. Because a lot of times when we think about God using us, we think about big things, I guess, whatever that might be. But, you know, God can use each and every one in simple ways, simple ways, right where you're at, whatever it is that God would want to do. So, okay, um, let's all stand. We're just about there. Let's all stand. I want to. I want to share with you just as we close. I want to read from uh, Numbers, the sixth chapter. It's uh, Aaron's blessing on God's people, and it says this: "The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance unto you and give you peace." Lord, we just pray that for each and every one here, Lord, that we might have your peace, that we might go forth with you looking upon us. Lord, we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. We do pick up chairs today. <laughs>